The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, student media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's July 27th, and the time is 4.04. And on behalf of the team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Marissa Jordan. And I'm Ian Grice. Later in the show, we'll have This Day in History to see what remarkable events have taken place on this date in the past and a look at the weather for this week. Before that, Jake Winters brings you Snowverated. This week, he reviews the film World's Greatest Dad. Mandy Butchski takes a look at Major League baseball hall of fame marissa brings you local news this week she reports on an entomology study in north carolina a stomach bug in the triangle and a new construction project in Cary. but first mia canal reports on pokemon go on campus Pokemon as a franchise has transcended a total of two generations, capturing millions of followers in the process. Pokemon was released as a trading card game in 1996, and in the following two years, the first Game Boy video games were released. And in 1999, Pokemon was released in the United States. In 2000, the first feature film-length Pokemon films were released, and 16 years later, Pokemon has only continued to grow. The release of the new Pokemon Go app has rekindled an old passion for some players. Vu Nguyen, a graduate student at NC State, shares his experience. Hey, my name is Vu Nguyen. I'm a third year grad student, actually going into fourth year now. Yeah, I played when I was like in elementary, middle school, and then I didn't really play after that until maybe around college. And then I got, I got this game, obviously. It's pretty interesting how they finally like incorporated it into an iPhone app. I thought that was a, a good move for them. Recently, Pokemon Go was released in the United States exactly three weeks ago today. In such a short amount of time, it has garnered attention from countless gamers, news sources, social media posts, and even transit authorities. It has had a total of over 75 million downloads worldwide, and it's only currently in 32 of over 100 possible markets Google and Apple have access to. 75 million downloads makes Pokemon Go one of 2016's biggest app launches. The app's success has been evident on NC State's campus as well as the Triangle area. The Facebook group NCSU Pokemon Go has nearly 800 members that share tips, optimal Pokemon locations, and compare their gaming experience. The Facebook event Pokemon Go Raleigh Meetup has over 1,000 Facebook participants marked as going and over 3,000 marked as interested. Because there are millions of people taking part in Pokemon Go, many players find that the game is an innovative way to meet new people. One graduate student from NC State explained to me that he met more people with a higher success rate through Pokemon Go versus going out to the bars. Desiree Riley, a first-year student, has also enjoyed meeting people through the game. I'm Desiree Riley, and I'm currently undecided, but I'm also a first-year student here. Since I don't socialize a lot, when I happen to be out around other people playing, they're just like, hey, you're playing. That's cool. We should just, like, talk now. This kind of helps me be a little bit more social. That's probably a lot of people that I didn't know would be into Pokemon as well. There's also been applause for the game for getting players outdoors, a feature less typical in video games. 
the app encourages players to walk outdoors in order to find Pokestops, gyms, and new Pokemon. With certain distances met, such as 2 kilometers, 5 kilometers, or 10 kilometers, players can also hatch eggs they have in incubators. Matthew Jacob enjoys being outdoor as part of the video game experience. It makes me want to go outside more, obviously. You know, you get the walking distance. You know, even in the seat, I'm still out here trying to, you know, find stuff. There's, like, you know, certain places you get to go where there's a, you get to, like, meet some people and you have, like, some kind of unity that, you know, you all enjoy this. You probably meet new people like that. That's one thing I kind of like about, you know, this app. Wynn also shares the sentiment of enjoying exploring the outdoors. I like that it get, actually gets you, like, out of the house, like, to go somewhere. Now, because the past two weekends I've actually been, like, going around Raleigh. I mean, I've been, like, running errands and stuff, and then this gives me, like, another reason, like, to instead of just, like, dropping something off, I can actually walk around for a little while. With the positive attention, the app has also received criticism for some glitches that have come with having so many users on the app. Right from the start, the Pokemon Go app has experienced problems with its servers, presumably from the vast number of users. Most users are familiar with the screen that says, our servers are experiencing issues, please come back later. And those that stuck through the glitches are likely familiar with the new screen with the message, our servers are humbled by your incredible response. We are working to resolve the issues. Please try again soon. There have been some more threatening glitches with how Pokemon Go got off the ground as well. Rumors of Google having complete access to users' Google account information has worried some people. There have also been reports of users being robbed at Pokestops as well as users being hit by cars. These anecdotal stories have cast a negative and what some players describe as inaccurate light on the game. Riley shares her opinion on the matter. The bad things that they say about it I'm kind of frustrate me because it's like a lot of things that aren't really true or they're not as much because of the game as it is because of people playing. Regardless of the issues, server and safety related, users persist on and play the game in order to catch them all. This has been Mia Canal with Eye on the Triangle. In local news, everyone around the Triangle area can catch their breath. A new study conducted by university researchers this summer found that the mosquito that carries the Zika virus is not common in North Carolina. To come to this conclusion, Researchers collected 17,000 mosquito eggs from 16 different sites around North Carolina to find the mosquito species most common in the state. As it turns out, the yellow fever mosquito, most likely to carry the Zika virus, was not found in the study. Professors of entomology from NC State, East Carolina University, and Western Carolina University were enlisted to conduct the research for this study, and it was funded by the U.S. Center for Disease Control. Even though the study turned up positive results, the CDC will continue surveillance of the mosquito populations in North Carolina until October. There have been 18 cases of Zika found in North Carolina. However, allegedly all of the cases were contracted outside of the country. The city of Durham is giving its swimming pools an extra shot of chlorine in order to prevent the spread of a microparasite that can cause intestinal problems. The parasite Cryptoportium is thought to have appeared in Wake County pools, causing 27 cases of stomach sickness. On Saturday, July 23rd, Durham Parks and Recreation hyperchlorinated all five of the city's pools. It was a precautionary method, as there have been no reported cases of the parasite in the city. Cryptoportium can be transmitted from one person to another in a pool from the residual fecal matter of an affected person. Symptoms of the sickness caused by the parasite include 
diarrhea, stomach cramps, fever, and vomiting. The town of Cary is looking to decorate a future downtown parking deck to add an appealing piece of art next to the downtown park. It is part of a joint plan between the town and the county to replace the library on South Academy Street with a new, larger, three-acre library on Walnut Street and Kildare Farm Road. The county is providing $7 million in funding, and Cary is providing the land for the project. In addition, part of the plan is to include a 350-space parking deck next to the library. The parking deck is estimated to cost $7.15 million, and construction is planned for summer 2017. The most popular art concept, created by Tom Drugan, a Seattle-based artist, would have a pixelated image of trees that mimics the nature surrounding downtown Cary. I'm Marissa Jordan for Eye on the Triangle. This past Sunday, the 2016 Hall of Fame induction ceremony for Major League Baseball took place. Only two former players got their faces carved in bronze to hang in Cooperstown, New York with the other 310 Hall of Famers. These players were Ken Griffey Jr. and Mike Piazza. This induction made history as Ken Griffey Jr., who was drafted first overall in 1987 by the Mariners, is the highest draft pick to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. He also broke the record for highest percentage of votes into the Hall of Fame at a near-perfect 99.32%. On the contrary, Mike Piazza was the 1,390th pick in the 1988 draft by the Dodgers, making him the lowest draft pick to be inducted. If that isn't inspiring, I don't know what is. To be taken in the 62nd round of the draft and then become a Hall of Famer? There's a lesson in that that we can all take home. If you want something, go get it. We all have the ability to be great. You are the only person standing in between you and your goals. As Piazza even mentioned in his speech, one who has hope lives differently. All right, I'll step off my soapbox now. I just get in my feelings. I love underdog stories, but let's get back to the nitty gritty. So Ken Griffey Jr. lived up to the hype everyone hopes a first overall pick does as he went on to win an American League MVP, 10 gold gloves, 7 silver sluggers, 3 home run derby trophies, and played in 13 all-star games. The Mariners have also announced they are retiring his number 24 this August. Mike Piazza established himself as one of the greatest hitting catchers the game has ever seen. Piazza won NL Rookie of the Year in 1993, played in 12 All-Star games, and took home 10 Silver Slugger awards. Piazza hit 427 home runs in just 16 years, but his most famous one is his empowering home run after 9-11. At the time, Piazza was with the New York Mets when terror struck New York City on that horrific day. When the stadium reopened on September 21st, Piazza crushed a ball to center field, which finally gave the fans something to smile about. Many looked to Piazza as a hero that day for bringing happiness back to New York City. Take a listen to the home run felt around the country. Lopez wants it away. And it's hit deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run! And the Mets lead 3-2. to two. Next year, the top contenders to be inducted into the Hall of Fame are Rangers Ivan Rodriguez, Red Sox Manny Ramirez, and Expos Vladimir Guerrero. 
If your baseball history isn't up to speed, the Montreal Expos are the precede of the Washington Nationals. Thanks for listening to Eye on the Triangle. I'm Mandy Butchke. Happy baseball watching. Hello, this is Jake Winters for Eye on the Triangle. This is Snowverated, and this week I will be taking a look at the film World's Greatest Dad. This film was released in 2009 and was written and directed by Bobcat Goldthwait. You may have heard of him before because he was Jimmy Kimmel's director for a while, as well as having his own stand-up comedy routine, which, if you've never seen or heard of his stand-up before, the only way I can explain it is hilarious insanity. World's Greatest Dad is somewhat along the same line. It is extremely cringy at parts, but is hilarious when it tries to be. The main actor in this film was Robin Williams, and for being as famous as he was, this movie was far from popular when it was released, which is actually understandable after seeing the film. It's fair to say that a lot of people, if not most, will not like this film. It's dark, a lot of humor is crass, and the subject matter of the film is pretty touchy for a lot of people, and rightfully so. The movie is essentially a parody of how high schools handle suicide, so it can hit kind of close to home for a lot of people. But really, with any comedy, you have to be willing to laugh at yourself in order to understand it. A lot of people would say there's nothing to laugh about in this situation, and obviously they have a point. Death tends to be pretty serious, but there are so many comedies with death in them, and they treat it like it's nothing. Look at all the old cartoons. Of course the characters never die permanently, but they are so full of violence and what would normally be fatal experiences, and those were comedy shows for children. So there's something funny about death. My take is that death is so absurd that if you put it in the right light, it can be funny. The way Robin Williams' character is written was my favorite part of this movie. He's a pushover guy who is raising his son, who hates him all by himself. Bobcat Goldthwait did an amazing job of showing exactly how that type of person reacts to conflict and challenge, and that was an unexpectedly great thing about the movie. Almost all of the characters besides him are just archetypes, which if you don't catch it first, like I didn't, the movie seems terrible. But the characters all being archetypes of some kind, of teacher or teenager, made this movie all the more terrible and hilarious, because that's exactly what it was trying to do. Everything about this movie seemed to be by the book. The filming and sets were extremely plain and just done averagely. It was sort of like watching an ABC family drama, but seriously distorted, which is another thing I find hilarious about it. The whole movie really is a joke. When you start thinking about the plot after watching the whole thing, you see all these subtleties and how everything worked out that are just hilarious. I haven't watched the movie again yet, but I have a feeling that it's one of those movies that only gets better the more you watch it. It is hard to say whether I like this film or not because of how genuinely strange it is. Throughout the movie, I kept wanting to turn it off, but it actually did a good job of keeping me hooked on where the story would go. It was like watching one of those movies that is so bad it is good, but this movie was actually good somehow in the end. I think it was probably good because of how intentional everything was. If it was hard to tell they had used archetypes for all of the characters, it may have seemed like they were trying to make a somewhat serious dark comedy. But it is almost like the movie didn't even take itself seriously. World's Greatest Dad is a horribly great dark comedy that, beside being terrible on the surface, somehow managed to captivate me and make me laugh. I'm going to give this movie a 2.5 out of 5. I really like this movie, but I can't give it a good score because it just isn't filmed in any unique way and really is only unique because of its comedy, which is what constitutes the whole score. I have seen this movie recommended in a few places before, and here I am recommending it again. 
there are a lot of opinions about whether it is good or not. And I have to say that while I was watching it, I leaned towards terrible. But after finishing it, something compels me to call it good. If you want to check this movie out, it's available on Amazon Video. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Eye on the Triangle and Snowverated. I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC FM Raleigh. The time is 424 and I'm Marissa Jordan. And I'm Ian Grice. Today, for the weather, Wednesday the 27th, we have a high of 96 and a low of 75, and predicted thunderstorms. Thursday, we're looking at a high of 97 and a low of 7, with partly cloudy skies. Friday, it's predicted a high of 95 and a low of 73, with mostly sunny skies. Saturday, there will be afternoon thunderstorms, with a high of 94 and a low of 74, and Sunday... We'll have a high of 92 and a low of 74 with scattered thunderstorms all day. On this day in history, for our history buff, buffs, in 1302, the Ottoman Sultanate gained its first major victory against the Byzantine Empire. In 1953, an armistice was signed to end hostilities in the Korean War, officially making the division of Korea indefinite by creating an approximately four-kilometer a wide militarization zone across the Korean Peninsula. In 2002, a Ukrainian Air Force aircraft crashed during an aerobatics presentation at the air show near Lviv, Ukraine, killing 77 people and injuring over 500 others. Yeah, it's very interesting to think about how uh, in Korea, uh, it's been 53 years and the war is still ongoing. It's There is a truce and they have the demilitarized zone, uh, but it's a still a war. Um, so this is my last time as a host of the show. In past weeks, you've heard Nick Weaver and Marissa Jordan, of course, hosting the show. And I'm looking forward to seeing them and all of our producers grow Eye on the Triangle in the future. But as always, if you've heard anything you've liked, you've hated, or anything that made you think, let us know at publicaffairs at wknc.org. And if you want to get involved in helping produce and make Eye on the Triangle, you can also shoot us an email at publicaffairs at wknc.org. And be sure to check out our blog at wknc-eot.tumblr.com. You can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next week right here on WKNC. And again, I'd like to thank our contributor, contributors, Jake Winters, Mandy Butchke, and Mia Cannell. For Eye on the Triangle... I'm Ian Grice. And I'm Marissa Jordan, wishing you all a great Wednesday afternoon, and have fun on the Appalachian Trail, Ian. <laughs>